Reading from Judges 6. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord of the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abysrite, where he, his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Man uh, Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it was really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Well, good evening, everyone, and uh, a very warm welcome uh, to HEC. If we haven't met before, my name's Jamie, as uh, Rosie said. It's wonderful uh, to be with you tonight. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon. He doesn't have any time, but I've got time. <laughs> I've got three Sundays to talk to you about uh, Gideon. And uh, just us, just us as an evening service to talk about uh, Gideon. And the book of Judges actually devotes more time to, to Gideon than uh, anyone else. And uh, it's a book about judges, as you'd imagine, but not um, judges sort of men in powdered wigs, uh, but actually uh, women, men who are more like a combination of, of tribal chieftains, of uh, regional, political and military leaders after uh, Joshua took God's people into uh, the promised land. They, they failed to, to fully take the land, to, to drive out the Canaanites. I wonder uh, what you think about Gideon. 
And maybe uh, tonight you're thinking, I'm a young person here and uh, I want to learn what it means to be a young leader, uh, just like Gideon. Perhaps uh, your mind immediately goes to to the Gideon Bible. The, uh, The former Chancellor of the Exchequer, who now runs the British Museum and Latter-day podcast host, uh, George Osborne. George Osborne. Uh, When he was born, his parents named him Gideon Osborne. And at the age of 13, he changed his name uh, from Gideon to George. He said it was my small act of rebellion. I never liked the name Gideon. Poor old Gideon. No room for him in the book of Hebrews and no room for him on George Osborne's passport. (laughs) But it's interesting, it's interesting, isn't it, that uh, George Osborne wanted to change his identity. Tonight, I want to speak to you about identity. And not just uh, Gideon's identity, but your identity and my identity. Because as as I began to to look more and more into Gideon, I realized that um, this isn't just about him. This is about what it means to be God's people. And it's a cautionary tale. It's a true story, uh, but one that comes with warnings. It comes with warnings and it comes with lessons for each one of us. And so what I want to encourage uh, each of us to be thinking through is, is asking the question, is asking the question, what kind of person do I want to be? And what kind of evening service do we want to be? It's the same essence, the question, that, uh, that God's people were facing. God's people were facing. In chapter 6, verse 1, uh, we begin with this. We begin with, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. So we see right at the very start there, we see rebellion, not just um, apparently small acts of rebellion like George Osborne, but big acts of rebellion. And, and when there's this, this sort of power vacuum after Joshua, God's people are, are looking for leadership. And, and these judges, they, they step up. And will they let, will they, they let their identity be, be shaped by the forces around them, by being drained by what's around them? Or will they have security, security in who they are? Do they know who they are? What what name is going on their passport? And the first thing I want to uh, say to us tonight is that you discover who you are in the presence of God. You discover who you are in the presence of God. We're going to keep coming back to the presence of God uh, every week for the next uh, three weeks. And, and the presence of God, God's presence has the, the possibility, the potential to, to overwhelm us. But the danger is it's very, very easy to let our circumstances, our situations overwhelm us, to take over, to live our lives outside in rather than living inside out. And what we heard next is the, the way that those invading totally overwhelmed the Israelites. They, they, they totally oppressed them. They prevented agriculture, livestock. They left them in an utter desperation. We read in verse five, they came up with their livestock in their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or the camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. 
Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. The temptation is, is always to, to look around us for help. But, but God's people here do the right thing. It's always the right thing to cry out to God for help. And so uh, the Lord sends them a, a prophet who tells them a story, tells them a story about who they are and where they've come from. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I wonder, I wonder what story you are living in. What story are you living in? Is your story primarily about the world around you? Is your story primarily about you? Or is the story primarily about who is with you? That's what God focuses on first here. This is who I am and this is what I have done for you. We discover who we are in the presence of God. But God doesn't stop there. In verse 10, God says, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. And so God gives his identity in relationship to them, in relation to them. He goes on, do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. And so God is saying your primary, your primary identity, your primary calling is in, is in relation to me. And it all goes terribly wrong when you put other things first. And God says, you have not listened to me. We, we discover who we are in the presence of God, which includes that we discover who we are when we listen to God. You discover who you are when you listen to God. You know, these people were God's people. They were supposed to know this. They were supposed to, to get this. It's so easy to, to grow up in church, to have grown up in church and to not have actually listened, to not have actually heard God speaking to you individually about who he says you are. I wonder who here tonight needs to hear God speaking to them. Not what their parents say, not what some youth leader has said, not what I say, but what God says. What God says about you and who you are. Voices, voices around us, voices that we listen to can be very positive. But they can also be um, negative voices as well for many. Those voices of fear and shame, of discouragement, of condemnation, of mockery. But God speaks very, very different, differently to us. Is that we, we next see in verse 11 that the angel of the Lord comes and sits next to Gideon under an oak tree. And we are first introduced to, to Gideon in verse 11 as Gideon, son of Joash. And Joash means literally that Yahweh is strong, that God is strong. It's my identity. My identity is not even really about me. My identity is about God. The historian Tom Holland, uh, in his book Dominion, uh, tells the story of a French man in Vienne in Gaul in the year AD 177. 
and amidst severe persecution, he was arrested for his faith. And as he was being interrogated, he, he infuriated his interrogators because he refused to reply to any question about who he was with anything other than I am a Christian. Rather than tell his name or his birth town, he repeatedly insisted that he had no other identity than Christian. Where he was born, whether he was slave or free, even his name mattered nothing in comparison to being a Christian. It's not about who we are. It's about who is with us. You, you find out who you are in the presence of God. We are in a world and we're in a time when identity is contested. It's contested, it's contrasted. You know, I am this, I am not that. Identity politics. The, the philosopher Tom Morris once wrote this. There are two striking human passions. The passion for uniqueness and the passion for union. Each of us wants to be recognized as a unique member of the human race. We want to stand apart from the crowd in some way. We want our own dignity and value. But at the same time, we have a passion for union, for belonging, even for merging our identities into a greater unity in which we can have a place, a role, a value. Tonight, I believe that God wants to say to each and every one of you that he uniquely loves you. Not just everybody else, but he uniquely loves you. But we only discover that. We only find that unique love, that specialness that God speaks to us about in relationship with him, in union with him. So important. It's so important that we, we listen to God because God doesn't see you as you see yourself. How do you see yourself, I wonder? How do you see yourself? Well, you know, we might make our identity about our race, our sex, our sexuality, our wealth, our friendships, or the big one, the big one in London, our careers. Uh, this time last year, I became a, uh, a British citizen. And uh, a lot of time about 10 years, a lot of expense, a lot of travel, a lot of worry uh, went into that. And can I tell you how I felt after the citizenship ceremony and after I received my passport? I felt absolutely the same. It's not core to who I am, being a British citizen. And all, all sorts of shifts, all sorts of shifts are going on at the moment uh, in our culture around identity. A recent study by New York University shows that many people in America are starting with politics as the basis for their identity. They say, I'm a, I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican first and foremost. And then they're, fascinatingly, they're shifting other parts of their identity around that, that core identity of being a Democrat or a Republican. So they're shifting around their, their ethnicity. They're shifting around their religion to suit their political identity. And since the, the 18th century, this, this romantic notion of, of expressing ourselves, expressing ourselves in a way that sort of bubbles up within us, 
That, that that's where our, our identity is. That's where we find ourselves. It's, it, it's totally the norm. It's totally assumed and expected in our culture. It's, it's quite confronting. It's quite confronting. It's quite shocking to, to question it. But it's interesting. It's interesting, isn't it, where the human eyes are placed in the body. The human eyes are placed in the body in such a way that we actually can't fully see ourselves. We need help from outside of ourselves to truly see ourselves. Because we, we have blind spots. And we do not truly see ourselves as we are. And what does God see? What does God see? Because we see God's eyes appear in this passage. We see that the God sees evil. And secondly, Gideon asks if he has found favor in God's eyes. And both are true of us. The, the uncomfortable reality, the uncomfortable reality that we know that we are not perfect, but that we are perfectly loved. And that because of Jesus, we can know and we can experience the favor of God. And he sees us with favor. And that's how you know who you are. A month ago, a, a friend of mine very suddenly and very unexpectedly died. And um, at, the, uh, at the memorial service, the, the, the minister said this. The minister said um, that she knew that she was not perfect, but she knew that she was perfectly loved. And he said, she knew who she was. And as I've been thinking about it, and I've been thinking about her, her relentless outward focus, her constant encouragement and praying for other people, building people up that I experienced in the few years that I knew her, incalculable encouragement and prayer that she spoke into my life. And I, I just experienced just how many other people experienced this from her too. And this all flowed from her knowing from her coming face to face with the reality that she was not perfect, but that she knew that she was perfectly loved. What, what God sees is, is more important than what you see. It's more important than what others see. But does, does God need to get his eyes tested in this passage? Because those, those, those famous words that many of you will know that he, he speaks to Gideon, verse 12, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But at this point, at this point, Gideon's not. He's hiding. Gideon, he's hiding and he's hiding in a wine press. And so tonight, if you're hiding from God, if you're, God, if you're hiding from God, God still sees you. He sees you, he knows you, he loves you and he wants to speak to you. And just as we see in this passage that, um, that, that Israel has been brought very low and that, that Gideon is the weakest member, the least member of the weakest clan in his tribe, it's so easy for us to, to feel like that in London. You know, there's that advice that if you're the smartest person in the room, then you're in uh, the wrong room. Now, I don't think I've ever been in the wrong room in London. But we see uh, Gideon's courage grow gradually over the next couple of chapters as, as God sees and, and speaks to who Gideon is becoming. The, uh, the jazz icon, Miles Davis, he said, man, sometimes it takes you a long time to sound like yourself. 
And Gideon, he hasn't, he hasn't yet learnt the tune. But, but God is interested in who Gideon is becoming. Michelle Obama wrote the book, Becoming, about how we are always becoming in a forward motion who we are. We're always becoming in a forward motion who we are. And in, in a sense, she's right. In a sense, she is right. She writes this, if you don't get out there and define yourself, you'll be quickly and inaccurately defined by others. And we see that here with Gideon too in this passage. We see that other people give him a different name and, and other people, they might want to give you a different identity, an identity in opposition to other things and other people. But what's really important is what God says about you. So how are you going to define yourself? How are you going to define yourself? Can I humbly suggest not to let other people define you? To compare, to compete, to contrast. And it's not to even define yourself, to promote, to protect, to preserve. But it's to have a, a higher definition. The definition that God has of you and all that he dreams for you to be. C.S. Lewis writes, asking you to imagine that you're a house that God comes to live in. And he says, you thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace, and he intends to come and live in it himself. For my birthday, uh, my wife Louisa took me to see the Lion King on the West End. And at that point that you know well, when, when Simba is still running away, uh, his, his dead father Mufasa re- reappears to him and says, you have forgotten who you are and so have forgotten me. Look inside yourself, Simba. You are more than what you've become. Has anyone here tonight forgotten who they are? Is anyone here tonight more than what they have become? Have you ever fired off a CV and thought, but I'm so much more than the tasks I've done for my bosses and what school I went to? That's that's not the essence of who I am. Because as the the song goes, he lives in you. He lives in you. You find out who you are in the presence of God. Because God doesn't see you as you see yourself. God looks at you, he looks at you and he says that you are a mighty warrior. Actually, we're, we're different to Gideon because we live on this side of the cross and the resurrection. As he looks at you and me and he says, you are more than conquerors. You are more than conquerors. And so you and I, you and I go in the strength that you have. Go in the strength that you have. That verse that we saw in verse 14 And as I said before, uh, Gideon's name, son of Joash, means that Yahweh is strong. Yahweh is strong. This is the strength that you have, that this is living inside out. And so your your, your identity leads to your calling and to your purpose. You you are not what you do. You do what you are. With Gideon, the, the angel didn't come to him with a battle plan. The angel came to him and said, this is who you are. We do not earn our strength. We do not set out and achieve and therefore earn an identity. I'm a successful lawyer. Your strength is not based on your performance. It's not based on your behavior or earning. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. 
God says in verse 16, I will be with you. It's exactly the same as when he called Moses. Here, Gideon is reluctant and afraid. But God said, I will be with you. It was a catch cry, a clarion call. If only God's people had remembered what God spoke through Moses and Joshua to be strong and very courageous because I will be with you. And this is what God's people are to be defined by. This is God's people's X factor. How much more, how much more can you and I know this than Gideon because of Jesus Christ? That Jesus, he is the basis of your identity. What does Jesus' name mean? We're reminded at Christmas that Jesus' name means that he would save his people from their sins. And just as we read earlier in verse eight, I I brought you up out of Egypt. I rescued you, I delivered you, I drove your enemies out. The prophet tells God's people about their salvation, about him saving, being saved, before we even get to Gideon's name. You have the favor of God. God is with us. God saves us. God gives us a new identity. You are not your job. You are not your CV. You are not your Myers-Briggs. You are not your sexuality. You are not your family. You are not a lever. You are not a remainer. You are not your political convictions. You are not your marital status. You are not your weight. You are not your fashion sense or your lack thereof. You are not your Instagram likes. You are not your Uber ratings. You are not your accomplishments, you're not your addictions. You're not your mistakes, you're not your failures, and you're not your regrets. Your identity is not fluid, it is fixed. It's fixed, it's watertight, secure in Jesus Christ because of what he did for you on the cross. Because of the Father who loves you, the Son who saves you, the Spirit who anoints you just as he does with Gideon, You and I are defined by the presence of God. Amen? Amen.